The Secret Library Podcast is brought to you by listeners like you through the Secret Library Podcast Patreon, which you can find at patreon.com slash secretlibrary. This is episode 117 of the Secret Library Podcast. My guest this week is Joanna Penn. She is an award-nominated New York Times and USA Today bestselling author of thrillers under J.F. Penn, and she also writes nonfiction for authors under Joanna Penn. She's an award-winning entrepreneur, podcaster, and YouTuber. Her site, thecreativepen.com, has been voted in the top 100 sites for writers by Writer's Digest. So those of you who are regular listeners to the show will remember that Joanna Penn has been on the show before. Um, She was one of the most popular episodes we've had, partly because she is so great at giving practical, thoughtful advice to writers. And I wanted to have her back because of her recent book, How to Write Nonfiction. And writing nonfiction and sharing nonfiction books and selling nonfiction books as well has been a topic of interest that I think we haven't gone into as deeply as we could on the show. So for anyone who's looking to write a nonfiction book and who wants to share information that you've learned, share your expertise, maybe expand your reach in a business that you have or in trying to get out there as a speaker. And if you have a desire, much like on a previous episode with Chris Guillebeau and Tom Hodgkinson to build a business around your writing life, um, you'll want to have a nonfiction book eventually. And so I wanted to have Joanna back on to talk about how to write that book, and how to write it really well so that it's a rewarding experience for you, your reader, and whatever goals you have for the book. So here we go with an amazing conversation, as always, with Joanna Penn. Hi, Joanna. Thanks so much for coming back on. Oh, thanks so much, Caroline. It's great to be here. I I love a repeat guest. It's super fun um, (laughs) because I'm like, oh, we can just get right into it. Yeah, we know each so, other now. We can just be honest. And not that we weren't honest last time. But, <laughs> but there, yeah, there is that like edging thing. Plus, I always love having people on who have shows because I know how nice it is to be the guest mm. because it's like, ah, oh, I don't have to plan anything. But then I also like, like, I know you're going to answer well. I don't know. Everyone's like, great. Yes, you're having a love fest. <laughs> Move on, people. Um, so you had... You've had so many books come out that are super useful, but in particular, How to Write Nonfiction is now out, and it was so cute to see you with your your Facebook Live bravery, with everybody typing in and saying what bestseller list it was hitting while you were on there. And so, I first of all, congratulations on how well the book is doing. Oh, thank you so much. And and it is you did say bravery there. I mean, I you know, we are in inverted commas live now, like you and me, but I know this can be edited. And, and Facebook Live just f- fills me with fear for some reason, because you know that if you make a mistake, like people are watching you live and that, that's just kind of scary. And it's the first time I've done it for a book launch. So, and that's after, you know, 10 years of putting books out. So <laughs> if people listening are like, oh my goodness, I could never do that. Well, it might take 10 years, but <laughs> eventually you might get to it. And as you say, it, what's so interesting as, as writers is so often, it's like telepathy right I'm writing something now and in you know next year or something it will appear in someone else's brain but with the live thing people are actually giving you feedback straight away so I I definitely I want to hold on to the bravery and do it for my next book launch too but um yeah that was fun I have to say well we'll link to the because you can see it later and it is an episode in an in-between episode as we say in your podcast now so everyone listening can listen to that episode. And you may have the same reaction I had, which was, 
this can't possibly be the first time you're doing this because you sound so natural doing it. Well, I, I had done a few a couple of years ago and uh, just kind of got scared. Um, again, the introvert thing. I don't know whether it's introvert, actually, uh, but uh, yeah, just the maybe being prepared. You know, we're good girls, <laughs> or at least on the surface. Right. You know, we like to, to prepare, um, to have the questions ready, to have thought about our answers so we can be semi-coherent. And yeah, I think, and also maybe that's just part of being a writer. We know that with writing, the first draft is the first draft, so no one's going to see that. So the first thing we that comes out of our brains is not usually the most coherent thing, but then after the editing and everything, you can make it sound very intelligent, <laughs> as per everyone on your podcast. <laughs> but, um, but yes, and also, I guess I would also encourage people to try this stuff, um, you know, whatever is out of your comfort zone. So I'll tell you something I have never done. I have never read my fiction out loud in public. That just scares me stupid. But I've spoken all over the world to thousands of people on the nonfiction topic. So maybe we'll cover that today, like the difference between fiction and nonfiction. Um, but yeah, this book, How to Write Nonfiction, was very much something that I finally decided to put together you know you write what you want to get straight in your brain. And I know I needed to get that straight in my brain. Yes. Well, first of all, I have to say, as a little aside, that this makes me want to bring you on for one of your fiction releases and have you read it over the podcast. <laughs> That'll <just> be a no. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe if we involve gin and tonic. But to get into, I think what you said, the difference between fiction and nonfiction, I think is critical. And also getting getting things straight in your brain. One of the things you talk about in How to Write About Nonfiction is starting with the table of contents, which I thought was really helpful to get the topic straight in your brain. And I'm wondering if we could go through how you think about deciding on an idea for what you're gonna write a nonfiction book about, and then go step-by-step step through the early process maybe the lead up to the writing process so that everyone can see how that works. Yeah, sure. Well. Straight up, I think there are two directions that you can do a nonfiction book from. So there's the top-down uh, approach or the kind of bottom-up approach. So the top-down approach is, um, and I've talked about this to you, I want to write a book on the shadow about writing from the dark side. This is a topic I am interested in. So, you know, the topic is the shadow and creativity from the dark. Uh, I want to write it, I will research it, and eventually I'll come up with a table of contents. But it's it's stemming from my, myself, my interest, the things I want to do. The kind of the bottom-up approach is often when you have an audience and you notice that something is resonating with your audience and you you go from there. And this, for many, many non-fiction writers, they already have some kind of other job or business or, you know, a community. I know you've had the Being Boss Ladies, for example. That's a great example of, you know, a sort of bottom-up community thing meets top-down. Um, so for, for me, the success author mindset is probably the most obvious one which is really about the psychology of the roller coaster ride of creativity and I did a blog post on that and it resonated so much that I was like oh this is this needs to be a book so either of those angles are completely valid so either you just have a book of your heart you're really interested in this topic or it kind of bubbles up from the people who you serve your your community 
And then um, in terms of the the kind of the, again, there's kind of two ways. One, if you have an existing amount of material. So, um, you know, if you have lots of stuff already, like a blog or a podcast or an email series um, that you can turn into a book, that's one way to start. You know, you have that material. Often those people will struggle because there might be too much. Um, so for those people, I say, get one page of A4 paper and write down as you know the most important things and if you once you've filled one piece of paper that's it that's all you're getting for your table of contents <laughs> um, and the other direction if you're doing it kind of from the top down is to just brainstorm from your interest so for example with the um writing from the the shadow I know, you know, one of my line items, I guess, on the table of contents will be um, Carl Jung and what is the shadow, for example, um, or Plato's chariot, how to merge the dark and the light side. Um, you know, those types of, or, you know, horror would be, you know, why do people write violence? Why do people write sex? Um, you know, well, <laughs> these are kind of crazy questions for creatives, because of course we do. But, you know, how, how do you tap into that? So those are the kind of two angles that you can come from. Um, with non-fiction books uh, but a lot of that is also to do with research and the metaphor of the creative pipe um, I know Julia Cameron has the creative well um, but I kind of think of it as a pipe which is you have to put stuff in the top for stuff to come out the bottom kind of transformed so you have to do your research you have to fill your brain with all kinds of different stuff so that you can come up with an original take on what is probably a topic that lots of people have written about yeah absolutely I mean, I think that really clarifies, yes, it's okay to have a book that is an ongoing thing that you're thinking about, like the shadow book. And I kind of love the idea of just sort of setting things in either a digital or a physical folder, or I love how you talk about using Pinterest for your novels and keeping boards to sort of keep you inspired, that whatever kind of takes you. So one thing I want to ask about, because this is a problem I'm having at the moment, is that you seem to have no shortage of ideas and options. And not only that, you have now three names that you're writing under. <laughs> so, and, and they span all the way from sweet romance to dark thrillers to nonfiction. So how are you keeping all of this straight in your brain and even more importantly in your writing schedule? Well, I think that that word um, schedule is is the key. So and I also think having different names, it's very difficult in one way, because you have to have three different websites, three different email lists, three different brands, um, and which is difficult. But in another way, it's easier because I actually schedule my time by author name. So um, you're interviewing Joanna Penn. <laughs> um, you know, this morning, I was, you know, doing my writing for my next novel as JF Penn. And so it's almost and it's not like I have any kind of psychological difficulties. It, it is that when I sit down as um, to write my thrillers, for example, I have uh, a particular way of doing it. I, I go to a cafe, I put my noise cancelling headphones on, I have the sound of rain and thunderstorms, and I sink into that persona. And that persona um, has quite a lot in common with you in terms of the art side and the, um, you know, your tarot side and the interest in, in these more arcane 
pain matters. Um, and, you know, that's when I get into that persona, the things that I'm reading, the, you know, the, the things I'm putting into my brain are kind of just segmented. They, those things are kept quite separate. Um, the Penny Appleton, the sweet romance, I co-write with my mum. And that's not something I ever thought I would do. But actually, it's a, I've done a lot more co-writing in the last few years. And it's a fascinating process. You, you, you know, you learn a lot by being, by co-writing, especially with a more junior writer, which is terrible to say about my mum, but... <laughs> is actually true. Um, and then with the nonfiction, as I said, my nonfiction is usually of service to my community. And um, although I benefit greatly because um, I learn a lot from what I'm writing, it also obviously does make money, which benefits me, uh, but it also is to help other writers um, like yourself who are writing nonfiction. So it's like, here are the things I've learned and hopefully it will help you. Whereas with my fiction, I really feel uh like I'm being selfish in a way and it's really weird I was just I was talking to Stephen Pressfield who wrote The War of Art yesterday Mm -hmm. um on my show and I was saying you know I said to him I asked him this question because he writes fiction and non-fiction and he talks about honoring the muse and maybe there are two different muses a different muse for fiction and a different muse for non-fiction because they almost seem to come from different places now I know you've had memoir writers uh, on your show as as have I and I think memoir is a bit different because it's almost a combination of fiction and non-fiction you know what I yeah, mean absolutely so I wonder whether that is and I a lot of my non-fiction has my own journal entries in my own um well how to write non-fiction has a very personal story at the front uh yes. you know so you can share a lot of personal stuff with non-fiction but I still feel like if you want to see into someone's brain you read their fiction <laughs> That is fascinating, though, because in in writing groups I've been in, there is, and this has nothing to do with nonfiction, but there is this sense of these people that you meet and they have this persona and then you read their fiction and you're like, oh, I had no idea that was in there. (laughs) Well, exactly. And it's funny because I'm I'm pretty obsessed with with self-censorship and and trying to help people around that because I feel, uh, like I said earlier, you know, we're we're nice girls with these nice jolly voices and and yet some of the stuff I write is very, very dark. And, um, you know, I'm I'm kind of, I call myself a vanilla goth. Uh, I don't look like a goth. (laughs) But, you know, I should be. In my mind, I'm covered in tattoos and I'm wearing like, uh, you know, I have goth makeup and I, I go to Day of the Dead and I hang out in the, in the, in the catacombs <laughs> like a vampire um and so but that's not my I have this other self-help side um which he, which wants to be Tony Robbins so you kind of meet vampire meets Tony Robbins type of <laughs> type of personality but what's awesome about the, the way we can live now the careers we have is that we can do all these different types of things you can indulge all those parts of your personality and there is a there is a place for them that you know I can co-write a sweet romance that has a happy ending and nobody dies (laughs) which is just not what happens in my thrillers no not at all (laughs) so you have I mean you're writing in series essentially because the nonfiction is all under the you know, books for authors sort of category. And they, it isn't the same as in you need to know what happened in the one before in order to be caught up for the next one, the way it is with fiction. But you are kind of building this catalog in the Pen- Penny Appleton world in the JF Penn world, which is absolutely a series. And then you've written other fiction series. And then the how to um, author books. 
How are you kind of timing them in your head? Because on your show, you say things like, okay, my next book up is a fiction book, so I'm going to be working on that one. How are you timing how many books you want to get out a year and balancing when you go back from nonfiction and fiction? Uh, I wish I could say I was super organized and had a production schedule. Um, I have a daily schedule which has time blocks for creation. But what I have been unable to do because of the muse, I, I will blame it on the muse, I can't seem to schedule the books I'm going to write. So um, it really is, I, I didn't, I didn't even know I was going to write this how to write nonfiction this year. I didn't, I literally did not know that was what was coming up. Um, but I started, I thought I would just write a little short book because people kept asking me these questions. And then it just turned into quite a, a big, it's, it's a chunky book, you know, it's like 65,000 words or something. Um, and then with my fiction, um, well, I, t I tend to alternate. So I do kind of go, you know, novel, novella, nonfiction, novel, novel, nonfiction, you know, kind of like that. Um, but with the fiction, I, I was getting desperate. I think everyone who writes recognizes that feeling when you're, oh my goodness, I am so done with this project. I really want a new project. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and I've had this story bubbling away in my mind. I went to um, San Francisco, well, I went to New Orleans two years ago and San Francisco last year. And I knew I needed to write an arcane, and arcane is one of my series, um, thriller about um, America. And so I, I, and I've had one set in New York, but when I, I was like in New Orleans, I was like, oh my goodness, this is so European. And I was in the um, St. Louis Cathedral and there's mm. a, bi a Bible there, which um, the original Bible is in Toledo in Spain. And so I just needed an excuse to go to Toledo in Spain. <laughs> So I was there a couple of weeks ago and with the aim, it was a kind of a, it was a double thing. It was a, I am done with this nonfiction book and I am ready for my next novel. So I go places looking for story and I went there looking for whatever I could find. I, I went to look at the Bible, but found uh, stuff in Madrid. And um, so now that story is, is formed in my head that's been kind of marinating for a couple of years, even though I've written other novels since then. Um, and now I'm ready to write that book. So for me, it is very much what comes up in the moment. And I don't really know uh, how many books I will necessarily write in a year. I certainly will expect to at least write one fiction or two fiction and one nonfiction. Uh, that certainly would be an aim <laughs> at the beginning of the year. But um, as to which one, it, it really is what moves me enough to sit down and do that project. I love that because in my head, you're so organized and on your show, you have the, okay, this is how the last year went and here are my goals for this upcoming year. And I had this vision of this spreadsheet of here's the here's the pipeline for the next you know seven books or whatever <laughs> sitting there I would love I like I would love to say I do that but that I think what I am as I said I'm organized on a day-to-day -day basis and if you schedule time slots for the author names or for creation projects that is how you get stuff done so if you make time for it and show up it will happen whatever 
is going to show up, you know, and I think <laughs> it's amusing because of course I do record podcasts at the beginning of every year and the end when I talk about how the year went and then my year, my goals for the following year. What is hilarious is a lot of what I set out to achieve doesn't happen, <laughs> but a whole, <laughs> a whole load of other stuff happens. So, you know, what do you say? I mean, it, I didn't, I didn't, I wrote a script that early this year. I, I put out so many books last year. I got really exhausted and burned out around books like the book uh, product. So I wrote a script February, March this year, I wrote um, a, a feature and that completely refreshed me, but I didn't intend to do that at all. <laughs> so sometimes you just have to lean into it, you know. I love that. So I want to talk a little bit more about, so you've got your idea, you may not have scheduled it in advance, but an idea has presented itself. And I'm particularly fond of this phenomenon where you write a blog post, which by the way, everyone, blogging is still clearly extremely valid um, for a number of reasons, which Joanna does talk about in her books. But you've, you've somehow interacted with an audience or a community and people are really responding to something. And then the idea is to turn it into a book to expand it. So I want to come at this from two sides. One is you've got something like a blog post that's fairly condensed and you want to expand it. And then maybe we can go from the other end that you mentioned earlier, that somebody has a lot of material and maybe they want to condense it. So can we start with the blog post and how you go about picking that apart and making it a, lo a larger manuscript? Right. Well, yeah. And usually, well, for me, the, the it was um, it was literally a blog post about the roller coaster of the creative life. And, you know, it was all about the binary relationship. So the first line was, you know, I love writing. It's the best thing. Uh, I feel fulfilled when I write. Uh, and then I hate writing. It drives me crazy. You know, it, <laughs> there's no, it's just it takes everything out of me. And it was all about that. It, and it was, you know, I want to be famous. I want to make millions. And then I just want to be left alone alone to write in my cave <laughs> so <laughs> this was probably it was only 200 words um but I think the key with blog posts that stand out like that is they have emotion in them and so that would be my first tip would be whatever I bet you if a blog post does resonate there is some form of emotion in it and some form of deep personal story. And this is, I think this is what happened with the How to Write Nonfiction. I thought I was going to write a little self-help book that would be, you know, really short, um, bit of a how-to. And then it turned out that it ended up with a lot more heart in than I expected. And I end up kind of saying, please don't just write another throwaway nonfiction book. Please bring your heart into it. So I think that that's the truth with the blog posts and the writing that we, um, or even things we put on social media, you know, it's often the things with heart and human emotion that resonate. And then from there, you can expand it. So in that situation, it really was about the dichotomies and the binary sides of of creativity that then I actually expanded every single one of those sentences into chapters so um, you know how do you how do you feel when you know what's what's difficult about publishing a book is the creative dissatisfaction you think it's going to be the pinnacle of your life but it's only the start you know um, so stuff like that the 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 things that happen so that would be one tip like really look at the emotion of whatever you've written and try and kind of figure out what it was that hit with with the audience and then um you need to be thinking obviously about the topic but also the specific target 
audience of your um, of your site, uh, sorry, of your book in the same way as like a podcast. You know, you and I both have podcasts for writers and they could be writers at the beginning of their journey. They could be established writers, um, you know, so really thinking more specifically about who you're writing for and then it is about expanding it. Now, I like to kind of come up with probably at the beginning 10 to 15 one-liners. I actually use Scrivener to do all my books. The um, best. Yeah, just Scrivener's amazing. And you, what's brilliant is you can just dump one-liners into it. You can just say, okay, I'm going to, you know, talk about this, like I said, about the, the, the shadow book. And then from there, you you expand expand those um i have uh, amusingly um i've done this for uh, a how to write a novel so i actually have a online course for how to write a novel and i thought i will turn that into a book so i got um transcripts of whatever it is nine hours worth of lectures and things and put them all into scrivener and I've ended up with a hundred thousand words on how to write a novel, and I can't Amazing. tackle it. I know, but I can't tackle it. I look at it, and it's too much. So this is the other angle. Okay, so if you are a speaker, if you know you listening, or or uh, you know if you are a speaker, like turning your talks into a book can actually be quite difficult. I almost feel like I have to start again. So if you have too much, um, then I would almost say start again with just writing down that fifteen things and then start filling in the blanks. But if you've got a lot of material, you might end up turning that into multiple books. And that might be the key, is to really think, okay, so how does this go beyond one book? Like you say, I've got a series for of nonfiction, which is lots of different things for writers from lots of different angles. Um, and that's, you know, it's quite common within the nonfiction niche as well to write lots of books for the same market. Um, because we often think about these things. So I think you can you can definitely do do both. Yeah, this is an interesting thing that I notice happening in myself. And I, I notice it in other people also, particularly with nonfiction is that people want to put everything into the book. Mm. And I wonder if that comes from something you also talk about very well in How to Write Nonfiction is the the sort of fear of, am I enough of an expert to do this? Therefore, I'm going to put everything I know into it to sort of prove to myself as I'm writing that I'm an expert. Whereas you also talk about many times, and I agree with you, the advantage of having a series. So to me, the urge to put everything into the book could be mitigated by maybe you write a series of books on different aspects of the topic then you get to build authority over time it's less overwhelming to write a slightly shorter book and you have the advantages which are very clear of having a series of books for people to buy and read yeah and i think this has a lot to do with the publishing industry <laughs> um well, because I'm certain of that too <laughs> Because the publishing industry, when, um, you know, will not take a book proposal for 25,000 word book, <laughs> usually, um, you know, the the books we see on the shelves at Barnes and Noble and, uh, you know, Amazon bookstore or whatever, are usually, you know, in the physical form are the heavier books, they are thicker. And so they are usually between 50,000, like over 50,000 words. But what's interesting in a digital world is you don't need to write a book that's that length so I one my best-selling non-fiction book is how to make a living with your writing it's 27,000 words 
it's a short book. It is available in print uh, and also audio. It's a short book. It delivers everything it says on the tin and I don't need to write any more in that. And if you want more, uh, I've got a much longer book called Business for Authors. But the thing, what's so interesting and the reason I wrote that shorter book was because Business for Authors was not hitting the audience I wanted it to. So I wrote a shorter, more accessible book that didn't mention tax. (laughs) (laughs) and and it sold better and this is this is what's so interesting so when you're thinking about um what you know what should I do with non-fiction then really consider okay what do I want it for so the booker's business card or the book for speakers that's often the kind of chunkier book or the um you know the book deal where it is a sort of uh, landmark book as such is quite different to the person who has an audience who or wants to build an audience who wants to write multiple books in a niche who wants to build the expertise who is very happy to make you know four dollars per book um, with a digital you know with an ebook um, who doesn't necessarily need a massive doorstop um, so the, these are very different ways of measuring success but I think because the trend of writing longer padded nonfiction uh, has persisted um, in the traditional publishing environment that has has meant that a lot of people have padded their books um, so it would be great if we changed that and um, someone like Seth Godin is a great example he started the domino project as a way to publish shorter books that you know basically his own publishing company and published a whole load of short books a Stephen Pressfield who I mentioned has his own publishing company with his partner and his business partner and they're doing short books so it certainly uh, can be done yeah it amazes me I was thinking of Stephen Pressfield as you're talking because I think of all of his books none of them is a huge long book I mean they're very digestible, they're easy to read, and they were originally traditionally published, were they not? Well, well, the first, uh, the first one was, but a long time ago. Um, he, he he's a yeah great example of some. I mean, obviously, I mean you can look at lots of of older nonfiction was shorter, um, but then things became longer for whatever reason. Um, but yeah, um, Stephen and Sean Coyne, um, who has a fantastic book, The Story Grid, which I highly recommend. Um, they have Black Irish books. Um, they're and they're starting to publish other people now, um, as well. So yeah I mean you you get to choose and Steve Steve actually just put out uh serialized his latest book the artist's journey on his blog so there's another thing about blogs uh so it's it's so interesting how you can turn you can go both ways with the material and I actually do this too I will write the book and then I'll put the blog posts on you know the chapters onto my blog so vice versa you can bring blog posts into a book but you can also use chapters on a blog if you own the rights of course (laughs) absolutely This is something to remember is that the whole industry and the whole concept of writing nonfiction is fluid and it is evolving all the time. And this is an example of things changing. I mean, the thing that I love too is the idea of using a book as a way to function as sort of an independent standalone and profitable FAQ. Yes. So Mm. I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about that concept because I think a lot of people think about, oh, if I write a book, it's in all caps. And the idea (laughs) is if I'm going to write a book, possibly in italics and underlined as well, then it has to be a big, big idea. And it has to be some sort of tome. I mean, I'm thinking of, 
you know, Robert McKee's story, <laughs> that it's all about the whole concept, you know? Yeah. But there are other ways that nonfiction books can serve both you and the reader. Yeah, totally. And I was just thinking there of Elizabeth Gilbert. Now her big magic book is fantastic and it is quite big as well. But she does say in there, you know, you do not have to change the world with your book. You don't have to change me with your book. In fact, I'd rather you didn't try. <laughs> just put just right. put your book out in the world and see what happens. You know, you, it does. Well, I think, again... Um, the more books you write, the easier this becomes. I think it can be very difficult for people who might be approaching their first book. It's like, oh, I need to write the book, as you say. And my first book, um, Career Change, which is now uh, 10 years old, um, was about, you know, finding a new career if you hate the job you're in and, um, you know, ended up changing my life, if not many other people's. But that book, uh, when I wrote that, I really did think it was going to be the only book I ever wrote. And I took it very seriously seriously and you know and I take every book seriously but I mean what what I think we need to think nowadays is as you say the FAQ idea is brilliant and one of my books successful self-publishing another very short book it's free on all ebook stores uh, because every day I get questions you know how do I self-publish a book so I'm like okay <laughs> you can find it on my blog or just download this book um, it's in print as well um, and then you'll get all the answers and just on non-fiction and money because I know you do cover money on your show and we've talked about it before but um, if you have a free ebook and that's getting downloaded every day you can fill it with other things so if you have a series like I do, it will sell into your other series. It will help the algorithm. Uh, people who bought this also bought that. You can put links to your courses, your other books, your uh, consulting services. You can put affiliate links in the book. You can So you can offer a very helpful resource that also will make you money, even if that money is not the direct book sale. Um, so if you just relax into this book does not have to be my magnum opus, um, then that will really help you. And of course, at some point, maybe you will write that magnum opus. Um, I think for me, the shadow book, which I've been talking about for so long now, feels like a, a bigger book to me. Um, but I also feel like I need to be a better writer to write a bigger book, if you know what I mean. And we're always, you know, investigating these things about ourselves. So, so yeah, I think maybe relaxing a bit, um, and if you are writing nonfiction and serving a community, then it's a bit like professional speaking. It ain't about you. It's about them. So how can you help them? And um, that will help you get over your issues, probably. Yeah, I think that's the other thing that comes up. Because as you say, I need to be a better writer to write the shadow book. I'm wondering about the people who feel like I need to be a better writer to write any book at all. And <laughs> there are editors. So that's, that's important. Struggle. There are editors. Um, what I would say just on, on the better writer, uh, you know, Ira Glass talks about that gap between who we are and yeah, oh, who yeah. we want to be. Yeah. But this is the thing. I, I don't I, I actually think nonfiction and this is not meant to be offensive in any way, but nonfiction is easier to write than fiction. I think that you can write non... And I do really think anyone can write a non-fiction book. And in fact, the more um, close to the average person your writing is, the better for non-fiction. Because people buy non-fiction to solve a problem uh, or to find out about a particular topic, you know, but usually they want to change something or they, they need help and they don't need perfect 
beautiful Pulitzer Prize winning writing. Um, you know, uh, neither do you have to write that if you write thrillers or whatever. But you know what I mean? It's like with nonfiction, I, I really think focusing on your audience and being as accessible as possible is probably a better idea. Um, and yeah, you, you can use editors to help you if you're if you're really struggling. This is something I think about a lot, too, because people write nonfiction every day. They just don't think about it that way. Like every email you write is basically writing nonfiction. And people do communicate in many ways primarily by writing. This is a texting and emailing culture that we live in now. And yet the number of times I talk to people about, well, yes, I write and I interview writers and people say, oh, I'm not a writer. Yeah. And I always want to say, well, do you email or text people? In which case you do communicate with writing and, and all it is is expanding that and, and putting some structure around it and finding a topic that's useful. Well, I think that structure point, and it kind of circles back what you we were saying, the kind of table of contents, but often structure is what people struggle with, with nonfiction. And it's interesting, last year we did The Healthy Writer. I co-wrote that with a medical doctor and... Um, we struggled with structure right up until the, our last draft. We were still trying to figure out the order of the chapters. And I think I changed it like right at the end as well. So I do get that um, you might have all this information either in your head or in bits and bobs of writing, but the structure of a nonfiction book can be difficult. That's why Scrivener can be so good. So if you're someone listening and you're struggling with with structure, um, Scrivener can help you because you visualize the structure on the screen, on the on the pane, and then you can actually drag and drop things around. And that to me is the key with nonfiction. You will never ever write start to finish with a nonfiction book. You won't, you just, and please don't try and write the introduction first. <laughs> That, oh no! No, Don't that will like be one of the last things you write. But the structure will will emerge. I really think like the first fifteen things that you write down will be a starter for ten, and then you will drag and drop things around. You'll create uh, new things. You'll concatenate things. But the I do think that a lot of people who write in Word or just write in a more um, you know in a, a linear way will struggle with nonfiction in terms of that structuring. So that would be a real tip for structure. Um, because you have to you have to take people on a journey with nonfiction in exactly the same way as you do with fiction. They have to start somewhere and end somewhere and not be confused along the way. So you do have to make sure you 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 get everything in the right order. Uh, so yeah, I do think I agree with you that people write nonfiction every day, but what they don't do is structure it. Um, so I think that is critical to write a nonfiction book that satisfies your audience. Yeah, absolutely. I can't second enough. The thing, I mean, Scrivener has been a sponsor of the show. So I will say that as a discloser, but they were because everybody talks about how much they love it. And for anyone who's listening, I doubt there's, there's probably three of you left <laughs> who have not been sold on this. But to be able to write in pieces, see the whole thing and then move things around versus writing on essentially a long spool of paper, which is how word feels mm. to me. And then having to go, where is that bit about that? I want to work on that bit is 
it is pretty revolutionary. Yeah, and I, I don't know how anyone writes without it now. I mean, I don't write fiction in order either. Uh, you know, I might, might write two scenes from the perspective of the antagonist, and then I want to intersperse that with, you know, other scenes. So I drag that around, or that timeline has changed, or, you know. So, yeah, I, I, I know some people, like, I think older writers will sit down and by hand, you know, write out beginning to end. I, or maybe they're just lying, I don't know, but... <laughs> I do that. Oh, really? From from yes, the beginning I to do. the end. I of do. A book. I mean, I I write by hand because my it's less. There's less critical voice coming in. Mm. So I have this weird process, which is inspired partly by something you talked about, yeah. where I will write by hand and then I transcribe it in with dictation. I was going to mention and dictation about criti- you know getting rid of critical voice with with that. Do do you find that then? Yes, absolutely. Ah. So I find that like my critical voice is less threatened by writing in a notebook because then it's like, oh, she's just writing in a notebook. That's nobody's going to read that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when I transcribe it in, I can kind of think, oh, I want to phrase that slightly differently. So that's like a first pass of editing. And then once I put the transcription into Scrivener, then I can really start saying, mm, does this scene actually go before that scene or does it go after it? Wow, that's but, that's so interesting. And I mean, you know, for anyone listening who hasn't tried dictation, you can obviously do it for nonfiction as well. Um, and you can do it um, straight into the microphone. So for me, I definitely can bypass critical voice if I'm not looking at a screen. So if I'm just talking into my recorder and then transcribing it later, I think that if I'm seeing it transcribing on the screen as I talk, that just does not work. <laughs> Oh, no, I can't do that either. I use a, I use a digital recorder too. Yeah. So it made me think earlier also when you said for someone who has a ton of material and is feeling overwhelmed but is a speaker, would you ever go through, let's say you've got a whole bunch of video like you talked about your how to write a novel mm. course. Um, you have a whole bunch of, of material that's maybe been transcribed. You could maybe pull the themes to put on your sheet of paper and say, these are the themes I'm seeing that I want to talk about. But you could almost, thinking about a book later, write down the themes in order. And then if you're a natural speaker, but you're scared of writing, you could use something like Dragon and do some speaking on the topics for each chapter and then put them straight into the book. Yes, I absolutely, I agree with you. And what I think I will end up doing now, I don't think it'll be my next nonfiction book, but it'll happen at some time, sometime, will be almost to go through and pick out questions. Um, I do think that being interviewed on topics like we're doing, you know, the sort of backwards and forwards is people can pull stuff out of you that you might not have thought of yourself. But if you transcribe your existing talks or if you talk about something, you'll find bits that you can then take that and then do a further session on. So you can almost go deeper every time. And, and you know, a lot of us talk a lot. <laughs> so <laughs> that can actually be a great way to um, get to a first draft. But I think the other thing about structuring with nonfiction these days is almost in common with blog posts, having a lot of white space and a lot of subheadings so you know if if people open a book and it's all like you know looking more like a novel you know with no subheadings on most nonfiction doesn't look like that anymore it actually looks like you know it has quotes on it might have questions it might have you know subheadings on this um that's certainly in the more business self-help health niche I mean maybe if it's a biography or you know that might be different but I think organizing things around questions can also help you with subheadings and the sort of substructure which if you're feeling overwhelmed with material that substructure can help uh, as well. 
Yeah, and I think something that you talk about in there is to, if you're feeling a certain way, then it's likely your reader will feel that way. You talk about it in terms of feeling bored by the topic and wanting to (laughs) fuse some personal experience into it. But I think by the same token, if you look at a page and the way that it's formatted feels overwhelming or like, oh, that's going to be hard to read through, that is likely to be the same experience for the reader. So pay attention to that and take it seriously. Mm. And in fact, that probably is the number one overwhelming tip for writing nonfiction is think of your reader. Uh, And that sort of circles back to me saying I feel self, in quotation marks, selfish when writing fiction because I don't really think about my reader when I write fiction. I'm like into the story. I'm thinking about my characters. But in writing nonfiction, you're writing it for a reader. You're writing it for somebody who you're trying to help or you're trying to answer a question or, um, you know, share a transformation with the hope of helping someone else through a transformation. So if you're, you need to consider where they are on the journey and make sure you serve that purpose. So when I said I was bored, it's like, oh, I'm really over this. It's because I was writing chapters that felt repetitive to me because I've talked about it before or I know it already whereas for um, somebody new reading it it's so important that they understand that like for example the question there is a chapter on how long does your book have to be that we've discussed but for me to write that down in a chapter it's like oh goodness do I have to talk about this again but it's like this is important this is actually one of the key questions that people have every time so you want to always keep your reader in mind and and serve them with your book and then one it will be a better book but two it might sell more yay (laughs) absolutely and one final thing to mention Mm. too in terms of being able to separate because there is always this feeling of like oh this is so boring and so obvious nobody's going to find this interesting but readers will find it interesting one tool that you've used well for this and the healthy writer is a survey so don't be afraid to survey people if you have an audience and see what questions come up for them that may be perfectly obvious to you because you've done whatever you're writing the book about so many times but to them it's actually very crucial and useful information yeah and actually when i did the survey for how to write nonfiction, it was something like 50 percent of people said that they had not written a book yet because they didn't feel like an expert so that went from that's heartbreaking i know and that's something that i had i had on my list but it was way down the bottom of my list um and yet once that happened i moved that right to near the top of the book like that's like you know the second chapter or something um you know f- feel feeling like a fraud you know some someone said i i know i have 30 years experience but self-doubt stops me from writing and this self-doubt you know and it, it begs the question you know how many phds do you need to be taken seriously or you know <laughs> it's kind of crazy and and what's so funny as well is once you write a book on a topic people think you're an expert (laughs) exactly so it's like the cure is writing the book not exactly you don't need to have the qualifications to write the book the book will give you the qualifications yeah and it's so but it's so interesting that that is the most I I think that's probably pretty common with with novelists too I mean that you know how can I write a book I I, I've never written a book (laughs) and it's like well you kind of have to just just get going um but yeah I mean if people are feeling that if they're feeling like they're they're not an expert it really is like coming back to 
to that personal experience, wherever you are on the journey, you can help people. You know, like um, we mentioned Stephen Pressfield. I'm not Stephen Pressfield. I'm not, you know, I haven't been writing for the last 50 years or whatever, how long he's been writing. I've been writing for 10 years, you know. So do I have to wait until I'm 65 to write a book on writing? <laughs> you know, and it's, this is the thing. It's you, There will always be somebody who is... Uh, in quotation marks, better than you or, you know, more experienced than you. But you are the one who is in your situation right now and you need to share your journey and you will help other people. Well, I can't think of a better way to sum up this conversation than that. Fantastic. Um, of course, I could talk to you all day, as we've said before, but I think... I think we'll leave it there, although I've already come up with like three other episode ideas. So <laughs> we'll do we'll it again. We'll discuss that later. <laughs> but thank you so much for coming on. As always, so useful, so helpful. And I know everyone is going to love hearing from you. And hopefully we will see a huge uptick in nonfiction books after everyone listens. Oh, I do hope so. And of course, I'm at thecreativepen.com, pen with a double N. If anyone wants to come over and if you have any questions, I'm always on Twitter at thecreativepen. Perfect. So do look Joanna up. She's so helpful and approachable. And also she has a lovely uh, Patreon. So you can get in touch with her there, which is super fun also. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to the Secret Library podcast. We hope you've enjoyed this week's show. You can keep the conversation going by leaving a comment in the show notes at secretlibrarypodcast.com or visit us on Facebook at facebook.com slash secretlibrarypodcast. You can also connect directly with me on Twitter or Instagram, where I'm Caro Donahue. That's at C-A-R-O-D-O-N-A-H-U-E. I look forward to chatting with you there. See you next week. Until then, happy writing. <laughs>